by nature, I've always tended to trust the wrong things. I mean, for example, I, I've had a, this tendency throughout my entire life to have an unhealthy confidence and trust in my own ability. I mean, if you give me the chance and the opportunity to step into it, I'm telling you, I just, in my head, I trust my ability to make that thing happen. But remember how I started this. I, I have tended to trust the wrong things in my life. I've kind of bought into the idea that, that if you have the right knowledge, you can create the right solutions in your life. And I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you PhD out a couple of times, you're gonna be successful. I'm talking about if you get the right kind of knowledge, the right kind of principles, and you're willing to work them, that you can kind of fix the thing. But you know, it's not true. I've trusted, I've trusted the idea that I can, I can accomplish just about anything that anybody else has as long as I have the resources available to me. In fact, I bet you you do this. I mean, don't you look around and say, well, if I had the resources they had, then I could have done that too. And it's all about what we haven't had. And so this, this, this trust we have and the idea that it's the resources that people have available that makes things possible or, or opportunities. I've trusted opportunities. And, and it also works on the shadow side where you go, you know, I'm kind of upset that I haven't had the opportunities. I'm kind of a little ticked at God that I haven't had the resources and I haven't had these kind of things in my life because we're trusting in the wrong things. I know this is me. And without fail, when I've, when I've trusted in the wrong things, it's led to the messiness of my life. You know, the the stuff I wish I could have swept away, the stuff I wish I didn't have in my life, the messiness, the disappointments and the hurts and the failures. And I've experienced this in every arena of my life I've, where I've trusted the wrong things. I've experienced it personally. I mean, just I mean, all I have to look at is the wide-angle view of my life and the truth is I really believed that I could growing up when I was younger and I kept digging the hole deeper and deeper and creating bigger and bigger messes and then I just thought if I could, if I could have the right opportunity or the right context, the right amount of knowledge that I could fix it and so I kept trying to author that in my life but it didn't work no matter how hard I tried and how hard I worked. It just kept making the, the darkness more dark and the shadows cast wider in my life. I, I, I couldn't get it together, personally. I've experienced the tendency to trust the wrong things when it came to the personal issue of parenting. And come on, I, I, whether you've had kids or not, you know that the, the idea of parenting is like one of the more important things we can be invested in, talking about shaping a better or a worse tomorrow, right? And I, I, I just discovered that I even though I thought I could, I couldn't do parenting. I couldn't do it. And I'm telling you, I was a guy who really thought I could. I, I, I gave some of the greatest talks and series on parenting before I had kids that <laughs> I could have given. I mean, they, I was fantastic at it, right? I knew everything. And then, 
It seemed like the birth of our first child, Carissa, confirmed how awesome I was. And so I started writing even more talks because she was, you know, as often firstborns are, a bit compliant, this perfect child responding to everything that we did in a positive way. And Roxanne, I thought, I don't know what's so hard about this parenting thing. It's awesome. And then we had Blake. <laughs> what the heck happened there? You know, and I, don't get me wrong, I love Blake. He's got the biggest heart in all the world, but he wasn't Carissa uh, <laughs> by any stretch. And to be honest and to be fair, our hardest parenting assignment was Allison, our third born, our last child. And you know, I'm a third born and there's something about third borns, you know. And uh, no one's hurt me more. I mean, to have a 13-year-old kid look in the eye and just take your heart out and stomp on it. See, I thought I could do this thing called parenting, but I couldn't do it. And by the way, Allison, this beautiful adult woman and wife and mom now, we have this just wonderful relationship. But man, oh man, I, I'm not responsible. I, I, I couldn't do the parenting thing. Because in the end, it turned out that I couldn't control anything. I couldn't control the exposure and the experiences and the influences that came in their life. I couldn't control how they viewed the world and how they viewed us. I couldn't control what they chose and what they didn't choose. No, I, I mean, I could show up. I could do that part of parenting, and I could try and hedge them about and boundary them off, but I couldn't, I couldn't control them. I'm telling you that. That's what parenting requires. And I, I wasn't able. I mean, I, if I could, I'd go in and I'd shape their heart with the right insights and values and faith and, and passions. But I didn't have the ability to reach in there and do that, you know? I, I couldn't do it. And it led to unnecessary frustration and heartache and brokenness and disappointment and failures in parenting because I was trying to do what I couldn't do. I was trusting the wrong things. And it didn't stop with my personal life. I've experienced it professionally all the way through my, my life. I've, I, I've really trusted myself professionally more than I've ought to have. I, I genuinely believed and I'm still wrestling with this. I genuinely believe that given the right opportunity, I could make success happen professionally anywhere doing anything. I really believe that. And I hate to admit this, but it was true of me when I became the pastor here of this church 27 years ago this month. I, I thought that I... I I wouldn't have verbalized it this way, but looking back, I thought that Jesus had called me here to be the pastor of this church because he had equipped, he had equipped me to be able to build this church. I, I thought he had given me the right stuff that I could fix this church and I could build this church and I could make this church what it was supposed to be. But I couldn't. As it turns out, Jesus didn't call me here to build his church. 
never even said anything close to that. You know, in, in the Bible, he says, I will build my church. He doesn't want us trying to build his stuff. He'll build his stuff, thank you very much. And so I had it all wrong. See, as he called me to be pastor here. That's true, I had that part right, but he didn't call me here to build his church. He called me here to encourage and equip you to look to and trust him. But in trying to build his church, who was I trying to get people to trust? Me. And it just, it doesn't work. I don't have the ability to control. I'm not able. It just, it can't happen. And I, so I, and I set out to build his church and surprise, surprise, it didn't work because the job was too big for me. Now listen, what God's called me to do is a God-sized job, not a Brad-sized job. And this is true in your life, personally and professionally, whatever area you're doing, I'm telling you, life's too big for you. It's God-sized, it's not human-sized. And when we trust ourselves, when we trust the wrong things, it will always create the messiness. And here's how it worked for me here, professionally. I, I mean, I, I'm not allergic to hard work. I, I worked hard, and the harder I worked and the harder I pressed to do what I couldn't do to build this church, the worst things got, the worse they got. Some of you, I don't know, it's a miracle of miracle. You're still in this church in spite of all of that. But in the end, and this is what happens when you try and carry God's stuff, when you don't have the capacity in the end, I broke, I mean broke. I'll never forget going to a conference that was about getting more knowledge so I could figure out what I could do to build this church and halfway through the conference, and I, I mean I'm in a struggle, I'm broken, and, and they say we're not going to give any more information this session, we're just going to, we're just going to worship. And I'll never forget, I bawled. I mean, just fell apart. Because they were pointing me to the one who could. And I was realizing that I was trying to be him. And it just changed everything for me. In all cases, in the end, personally and professionally, the only way for me to get out of the messiness was to give up. I, I had to stop trusting myself and all these other things, and I had to start trusting God. And I know we have people from every spectrum of the spiritual journey. I know some of you are here and you're not even sure about the whole God thing yet, and I get it, and I've been there in my past, but I'm gonna tell you something. You will never escape the messiness that is so destructive and tragic in your life until you realize that God is for real and until you trust him. You'll never have what you need. He's the one we need. When I stop trusting myself and those wrong things I have a tendency to trust and started trusting God, that's when he did what only he can do. 
I mean, God then was able to do in my life what I couldn't. God was then able to do in my kids' lives what Roxanne and I couldn't. Then God was able to do in this church what, what I couldn't do. And, and I just, I need you to know this. This is at the heart and the center of the struggle of World War Me. Trusting the wrong things, blaming God for the results. Here's the problem I, I, I want you to see as we continue in this series. When we trust the wrong things, we will always experience the wrong things because that's what it leads to. When we trust the wrong things, it leads to experiencing the wrong things. In fact, let me just define it in macro terms. When we trust the wrong things, it leads us to experience life's worst. It explains it. It's right where it's at. You know, the disappointments, the brokenness, the emptiness, the insecurity, the fear, the waste, the loss, the failure, it's, it all comes because we're trusting the wrong things. But here's the truth, and this is all throughout the Psalms, and this is at the center of the Psalm that we're looking at this weekend. The truth is that when we trust God, it leads to experiencing the right things. When, when we trust God, it leads to experiencing God's best, which is what we long for. Now, you need to understand, in the end, even when we're experiencing God's best, we're still going to experience unbelievable messiness in this world. Because just because I start trusting the right things and start experiencing God's best in me doesn't mean all the people around me and in my community and in this world start trusting the right things. They keep trusting the wrong things and what's going to happen? They're going to be creating a mess that interferes with my life in amazing ways, but I can still experience God's best within as I experience life's worst without when I trust God. Psalm 20 is what we call a royal psalm. There are different genres of psalm. I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the royal psalm was considered to be a psalm to the king, you know, a kingly psalm about the king, the king of Israel. And this is one of the royal psalms. And it's kind of like the people, I'm not going to read through the whole psalm, but if you do, it's like... It's like the people are telling the king if they trust God and all this different stuff, things will go well, and then the king hears from God and says, it's going to go well. And the king basically defines, you know, where they're going to put their trust and what they're going to trust in. And, and it's interesting. And along the way, people go, so if it's a royal psalm, is it relevant to us? And the, the easy answer is yes, it is. But let me tell you why. I mean, remember, the king was just a representative of God with the people of God in the Old Testament. And this was the principle upon which he could best represent God and experience God in his life, God's best. Many, most believe, I agree, that it's really ultimately the royal psalm, kind of talking about the king of kings, the true king, the Messiah, you know, Jesus who would come. I mean, he's the one in, in whom the royal psalms would find their absolute fulfillment. And then is there relevance to us in the royal psalm? Of course there is, because we're children of the king. We're, we're a part of his family of kings and priests. We're, we're, we're influencing on his behalf the principles and promises to the king of Israel, this principle and promise to us, the children of God in Christ. And so 
this is relevant to us. And I, I really want you to focus in on verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, those who trust in, you know, the wrong things and human things and themselves and their abilities and their methods and the things that they can create and make and their sources of power and their resources and all that stuff, they are brought to their knees and fall. But we, we who trust in the name of the Lord our God instead of all these wrong things, we rise up and stand firm. Now, listen. When we trust in the wrong things, it leads to experiencing the wrong things. When we trust in God, it leads to experiencing the right things. Who are you trusting in? And just so you can see how important this is, I mean, I, it's a, the anecdotal reality of my life, which is why I shared the stuff about my personal and professional life at the beginning, but it's not just my story, it's every story. In fact, since this is a royal psalm, why don't we just first of all look at how this principle works in the life of a king in the Old Testament? And so let's look at the example of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, by the way, like one of my favorite guys in the Bible. He's unbelievable. Great story. And I'm going to extract the story out of 2 Kings 18 and 19. And I, I really want to encourage you to read it. I would read it right here. It's so relevant and so breathtaking in its impact. I'd read it right here for you, but I know that all of you would leave before I was done. So I'll leave that to you, and I'll just read a couple of verses and then share the story. Look at 2 Kings chapter 18, starting with verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. That's who he trusted in. There was no one like Hezekiah among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him, puts him in real high territory. He, he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him, no matter what he faced. He, he kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, easy or not, and the Lord was with him, which is the key to success, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. And then this sentence sets us up. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. What? Right? It tells us the ultimate summary of his life. He trusted in the Lord. And then he says, let me give you an example. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him, which was crazy. Here's the story. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And I know all of you, all of you, your favorite subject was history. So here we go, you know. I'll try and make it interesting. The king, the king of Assyria was a guy named Sennacherib, and he was the most powerful man in all of the world at this time in Hezekiah's life. I mean, the Assyrian Empire was devastatingly powerful, and he was the king, Sennacherib. And he was savagely conquering every nation that got in his way. I'm telling you, their goal was not to nation build. Their goal was to tear down every single other nation and source of power and influence in the world to make the declaration that Assyria was number one and Sennacherib was its god. No mercy here. They were conquering every nation that got in their way. And I mean rolling over them like they didn't exist and leaving nothing but dust in their wake. And then he came and threatened Hezekiah and God's people, Israel. 
At first, Hezekiah, look at he was a human being. Do not read the Bible and divorce humanity from these people because he was a human being. This was scaring the fire out of him. And at first, he did the smart thing from a human perspective. You know what he did? Since Sennacherib was obviously too powerful for him to challenge, there was no reason for him just to die for dying's sake. Why would he want to leave his, his country to devastation? So he tried to pacify. He trusted in horses and chariots. He tried to pacify Sennacherib. You know how? By paying him tribute. He took the gold from the temple and gold from different places. They hear Sennacherib, you know, and thinking that then, oh, that's all Sennacherib wanted. And he'd go away. And, and the, here's the problem. Sennacherib wanted more and more and more because he wasn't interested in a little gold. He was interested in absolute power. And may I tell you, and this is important, this world pretends that all you have to do is pay tribute of a couple of morals, a couple of compromises, a couple of issues, and then you'll be at peace. All you have to do is surrender to its political correctness one time here, one time there, and it'll be over, but that's not the truth. They want to absolutely conquer you and dominate you and destroy you, and you need to know it because horses and chariots are not going to win. But in the end, he... He woke up and he realized this manipulation would never end. So Hezekiah did what seemed like, and I hope you'll get this, seemed like I, he was doing a really stupid thing from a human perspective. He, he stood up to Sennacherib, and here's what he said. Now think about it in the context of our day and how stupid this sounds in the way our culture interprets it. Here's what he said. I know you've got the mighty force to wipe out every nation, including mine and including me, but here's the deal. I'm going to trust God. What's our world say to that? Here, trust God. But that's what he did. And it seems so stupid to Sennacherib, to most of the world. He said, I refuse to put myself under your control. I am only going to put myself under God's control. I am going to bow down to one. I'm going to bow down to God, and you're not it, is what Hezekiah said. I'm not going to give you anything else. And by the way, it didn't look good. <laughs> the Assyrian forces said, okay. And they literally ripped through one of Hezekiah's heavily fortified outposts, a place called Lachish. It was a it was this city fortified to prevent people to get to Jerusalem and to the king. And Assyria literally marched right through it and destroyed it. With some people here from Northridge, I've stood on the mound of what used to be Lachish, and I'm telling you, it's nothing. And they just walked right through it. Here we come to Jerusalem. So it didn't look like he had made a very wise decision. They came and laid siege around Jerusalem. Imagine thousands upon thousands of the best warriors in the world with the best might, with the best power, with the best resources, with the best, I mean, laying siege. No one could go in out, out of Jerusalem or into Jerusalem. It was like over. Imagine being in Jerusalem and looking at that sea of warriors, knowing what they had done and saying, we're going to trust God, really? That's the solution? And yet, that's what Hezekiah said. It seemed like there was no stopping them. In fact, the Assyrians said it straight out. Because you know, when someone has power, you know what they do. They let you know it, don't they? Don't they taunt you with it? So Sennacherib sent one of his field commanders to yell up over the walls of Jerusalem, you know, where all the people could hear, and says, 
Don't let your king deceive you. He's stupid to think his God's gonna protect him. And then he went through this litany of lists and he says, the God of every nation we have conquered failed. No God is equal to Sennacherib. And I'm telling you, if you, and he even said it, if you wanna live and enjoy life, then you have to surrender to me. Don't listen to your God or to Hezekiah. And boy, the pressure was on. But somehow, in some way, and this is amazing, they stayed true to God and to Hezekiah, their leader at this time. They stood their ground and they refused to bow down to the king. They refused to surrender and it looked like certain defeat and certain failure. But God. But God. It looked like, thank you very, very much. Uh, if you're watching online, there was Something that just happened with a couple of palms, but it wasn't very heavy and it wasn't very hard. But thank you, I do appreciate the support. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. Um, speaking, speaking of manipulating the crowd, all right, I just thought I'd mention I know what I'm doing, but uh, okay. The Assyrian army was wiped out and Sennacherib was killed and it wasn't the army of Israel or Hezekiah who did it. It just gone. And, and you know, you can read the story on your own to figure all that stuff out, but let me just tell you something. Here's the important thing for us to remember. Please, please remember this. With God, what the world calls stupid, trusting him, wins every time, every time. Here's Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. When it comes down to it, trusting in the name of the Lord is the only intelligent thing to do. No matter how it seems, no matter what the influencers of our world say, the Lord is the one who controls. The Lord is the one who's able. He provides when he guides. His will and his timing are always perfect and he can be trusted. And this isn't just true for a king like Hezekiah. This is true for us. Let me give us as the example. Someone's starting a celebration. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Just like we had one clap earlier, I got one piece of confetti that just came out of the ceiling. I'm telling you, the way Northridge celebrates truth is an amazing thing. We go to no expense, we spare no expense. All right, never mind. Maybe we go to no expense is the better way to say it. Look, and here's the thing. This is, this is where life rises or falls. Do you know Jesus was simply teaching us this reality that's so clearly communicated in Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8, out of the music of the Psalms he was teaching us? Look at what he says in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Very truly, he says, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than I've been doing because I'm going to the Father. He's saying, look at, do you realize that the supernatural outpouring of God 
will happen through your lives as mine. In fact, even more because I'm leaving to go sit at the right hand of the Father. I mean, God's for real. And he says, you can experience it. Not just Hezekiah, not just people in the past. You can experience it. And then he says, and what, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. And you'll, like Hezekiah, display God's best in your life no matter what worst you're experiencing in this world. But see, so many people misunderstand what Jesus was saying here. You know, he's simply saying, I'll, I'll say it in cliche fashion and then I'll get to it. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we need to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you see it? The name of the Lord is all over that verse. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. And so many people misunderstand this. They think if they say in Jesus' name, after whatever they ask, that's what they're going to get. So let's try together. Bentley, in Jesus' name, please. <laughs> Promotion, in Jesus' name. Different husband, in Jesus' name, please. It, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about some trust in horses and chariots in the wrong thing. But when you trust in my name, you'll get what you want. Because when you trust in his name, what you want is what he wants. And by the way, trusting in his name, it's two things. Trusting in his name, he's the one that's in control and he's the one that's able, but trusting in his name also means asking for and having your heart beat fast for what his heart beats fast for. In his, you're asking in his name. Can you imagine him saying, Father, Bentley, please. Now, there's nothing wrong with owning a Bentley, but if you think that's the important thing to ask in Jesus' name, seriously, you know what Jesus cares about, right? People, life change, eternity. And when we ask for what he would ask for in his name, that's when we start experiencing what Hezekiah did. I read a devotional this last week. I'm, I'm reading through utmost for his highest for multiple times I've done in my life. And just as part of my devotional experience by a guy named Chambers and on October 16th, and I'm going to put it in my words, but he inspired the thought, though I thought I should share that. He, he basically said, prayer is stupid from a natural point of view. And it is, you know. <laughs> Sennacherib's putting his armies around us, and we're going, let's pray. It's like, it looks stupid. But from a spiritual point of view, prayer is the only thing that makes sense. You know why? Because... We're not able, no matter how many armies we put together and how powerful of a force we put together, but God is able. Remember the whole parenting thing I was telling you about? I can't shape my kid's heart, but God can, and I can't build a shirt, but he can, and the same is true in your life. And look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can fantasize about, according to his power that is at work within us, can you imagine? This isn't for King Hezekiah. This is for us. Do you realize 
that his power can be unleashed in our life and circumstances, even in the worst this world has to offer, and we have to trust him and not the wrong things. Here's the application I want to give you, and then I, I think you haven't, you'll have enough to walk through this weekend, just so you know we're going to end in worship, because I think this, this kind of a truth demands a worship response, but here's, here's how I, I would like to encourage you to weave it into your life. In order to experience God's best in our lives, you know, the power of his name, we need to learn to trust God instead of the wrong things. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, don't trust the things that come naturally. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge or submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Don't submit to the wrong things, to the Sennacheribs of your life, to, to the power of horses and chariots, to the idea that you can do it, that knowledge is all you need, or opportunities, or resources. Don't, don't, don't you dare submit to these things because it will destroy you. That's where the messiness comes from. Instead, in all your ways, submit to him, acknowledge him, and he'll make straight paths out of crooked junk. And, and I really want to I really want to go deep with this for a minute. I, to go deep doesn't take a long time, but it takes a couple of statements that flow right out of Proverbs and Psalm 20. In order to experience God's best in our lives, we need to learn to trust God, get it, in every area of our lives. Which is why I tried to introduce this with the fact that I tend to trust the wrong things in every area of my life, personally and professionally, in each and every part of each and every area. It's crazy. And so if I'm going to experience not life's worst but life's best, then I have to start learning to trust God in every area of my life, and so do you. And here's, here's an important thing to realize. We can be trusting God in some areas of our lives and trusting the wrong thing in other areas of our lives all at the same time. Now this creates a mess. At the same time that we're trusting God in one area and God's cleaning that up, we're creating messes in other areas of our lives because we're trusting in the wrong things. And this, is, this explains so much, doesn't it? It's like I could, at times and seasons of my life, be trusting God with my marriage and seeing him bring redemption into the intimacy there and not trusting him with my parenting and bringing messes into that. And it creates, even though I'm trusting God in an area. Same thing professionally. It's not that I didn't trust God in any area of my life when I became pastor of this church. It's just that I wasn't trusting him in every area and this is I, I promise you this is what you're doing because you're human and you're not alone but you've got to figure this thing out you've got to start learning to trust God in every area of your life personally and professionally if you and if you really want and a lot of times we don't right we come to kind of get absolved from whatever happened this week and we're hoping we get three more wishes for this next week that's why we're in church right but but if you really want to figure out whether or not you're trusting the wrong things, usually we just want to identify the things we're doing right and brag about that. But if you really want to identify where you're trusting the wrong things, just look for the messes in your life. And stop blaming everybody else and start going, I think I'm trusting the wrong thing. In fact, whoever you're blaming is probably who you're trusting. 
Boy, if the government would just get this thing right, everything would be okay. Who are you trusting again? Our government? As it is today, you know? Really? So look for the messes. And you'll start saying, oh, I'm trusting the wrong things there. In order to experience God's best in our lives, we need to learn to trust God, not just in every area of our lives, but no matter what we're facing or feeling. Don't lean on your own understanding. You have to trust God no matter what you're facing or feeling. Do you, do you, think, do you think Hezekiah looked out at those masses of Assyrians knowing what had happened to the king's heads that you know, had come before? And you think he went, you know, it just feels right to pray right now. I don't think so. And yet he trusted God. We need to get there. I, I don't know what you're facing or feeling right now, but I do know this. If you trust the wrong things, it will lead to the wrong things. But if you trust God, it will lead to the right things. Even in a world where you're experiencing the worst of things. We need to learn to trust God at all times. You know, I've been really good at short seasons of trust. I bet you some of you have as well. It's like, I, in fact, this is where I tell the story. When I want to talk about myself with you, I generally want to tell you about those few seasons in my life where I was awesome. You know, there was this time in 1919 when I trusted Jesus. By the way, I wasn't even alive then, and if you thought I was, that really ticks me off. I was thinking another word. Uh, starts with a different letter. But there are children present. We have kids' ministry, just in case you're offended. So here, okay, here's the thing. We need to trust the Lord at all times at all times, or we will create messes that once again need redemption instead of experiencing out the thrill of redemption. And then we need to learn to trust the Lord with all of our heart. And can I just emphasize that word, all? I'm going to tell you, in the last 40 years of my life, there haven't been many seasons where I didn't trust the Lord with part of my heart. But if I'm trusting the Lord with part of my heart, then I'm trusting the wrong things with parts of my heart, and that means what? I'm creating a mess. And many of us are there. We have to learn to trust, so let me ask this just two-word question. Are you? Trusting the Lord in every area of your life. Trusting in the Lord without regard to what you're facing or feeling. Trusting the Lord at all times. Trusting the Lord with all of your heart. This is why the messiness, because I know your answer. But you know what the good news is? Hezekiah who was one of the greatest kings. You read the passage with me. It was like, no one better, before or after. Started paying tribute <laughs> to Sennacherib. I'll buy the dude off. And then he fixed it. Greatness does not come from never having failed. Greatness comes by admitting our failure and letting God redeem it. This is your moment. We need to trust him, trust him. And so, I really want to encourage you, if you're experiencing the wrong things, then hey, 
just realize you're going to keep experiencing the wrong things. If you're trusting God, then you'll start experiencing God's mess best. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you, why not put your trust in him right now? And so just before we worship, I'm going to give you a chance to do that, okay? Would you just, just spend a moment in prayer? If you just bow your heads and pray, even if you're watching online somewhere around the world, just a moment and talk to God about what you've been trusting and the messes in your life and do what Hezekiah did and just say, I'm going to repent of what I've been trusting and doing and I'm going to turn and trust to you, God. But if you're here and you've never experienced Jesus just make you new, forgive you of your past and make you new, I'm going to pray right now and you can make my words the quiet expression of your heart to God. Just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I... I've been trusting the wrong things and I've blown it. I've, I know I've sinned against you. I've messed things up. But in this moment right now, I'm turning from that, repenting of that, and I'm turning to you and putting my trust in you. And I'm asking you to forgive me based on your death on the cross and give me new life based upon your resurrection and I'll thank you for it as I trust in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Just before we worship, and I hope you'll just worship with all of your heart, I, I wanna encourage you, if you prayed with me, please let me know. I've put together this information sheet about next steps that you can take in your journey with God, but to get it to you, to help you, we just have to know, and so in our services, we. At all four of our campuses, we give you these programs. There's a connection card inside. You just fill it out. There's a place where you can say, I prayed with you. Check that off. And there are boxes at every exit throughout there. We want to give you a Bible, and we want to give you that next steps information. And I've also been noticing that God's been doing a lot of work on the interior of our lives during this series. He has in mind. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not good to wrestle alone sometimes. And we have a prayer team at all of our campuses that meets up front after the service is over. And I know it's not convenient. It's the best we can provide. And, but they're here. And if you make your way forward after the service is over, they'd love to talk with you, answer questions, pray with you or for you. And I really encourage you to take advantage of that. But here's how I want to end the talk. Not with my words, but with his. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God.
with us. Have a great weekend.